Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Comboc Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter. Sorry about that. Uh, I had a little uh, interference in my ear from the... Uh, from the uh, <laughs> um, internet lady here that's running the show. Um, you follow us on Twitter and become a fan on Facebook, okay? Once again, I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. At Kalmbach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com, or order your layer. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com.
The yard bird chicken plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in less than 15 seconds. The compact size makes it easy to transport and easy to store. The one and a half horsepower motor and 20 inch stainless steel tub can handle two eight pound birds at the same time. There are no belts or pulleys to wear out and no adjustments necessary, which makes it virtually maintenance free. For more information about how you can own this must-have chicken processing product, visit YardBirdChickenPluckers.com today. That's YardBirdChickenPluckers.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen Aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Um, we just, I was, we were in the path of the hurricane. Uh, we're here in northeast Georgia currently, and um, so we're having a little bit of connectivity problems. I'm just making sure that everything is going okay, so sorry about the delay between the commercials and then um, any sound issues right now, but we're working through it. So hopefully we can get this uh, show on the road without any further delay. So that's uh, we've got power outages all over the county. We were fortunate enough to only be out for a few hours, but we're back up uh, where I get all my mail. There's still a lot of power. We have neighbors that are out of power. It's kind of weird how the grid works, but um, we didn't have any property damage, so uh, we're good there, thank goodness. But um, so it's just the first broadcast since then, so we're just trying to see. Let me make one more adjustment here and see if I need to do anything over here, and um, there we go. So hopefully we got some good connectivity and uh, pretty decent sound um, for the rest of the show. But anyway, we do have a great show lined up for you today. We've got uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski. He's going to be on um, from uh, UC Davis, and we're going to be talking about Merrick's. I know over the last decade of us broadcasting the show, we have covered Merrick's before. We've covered it more than once. But this week, I stumbled across a, um, a um, I guess it's a group, a Facebook group. Let me go over here and find it. There it is. And there was kind of a heated topic uh, about Merrick's disease, and there was some comments on there and some other things. And um, let me see what it is here. And... Um, so we wanted to uh, cover some of that. Give me just a second. And well, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and bring on Dr. Pateski because he's going to give us kind of an overview of the uh, of the Merrick's disease. And then um, not not I guess I guess like he often kinds of call it calls it the ten thousand foot view. And so because we have had other episodes, you can go and listen to those. They've been archived. 
for the uh, for the Merrick's disease. But we just want to give him kind of an overview, and then uh, we'll talk about a little bit more things that have been out there, some of the myths, uh, myths and rumors, and other things like that. So let's go ahead and bring uh, Dr. Pateski on. Hey, Doc, thanks for uh, calling in today. We appreciate it. Uh, while you were on hold, how, is my sound come and go, or does it sound pretty good, straightforward? Uh, it's fine now. It was kind of coming and going a little there a couple times. Okay, gotcha. I'll try to monitor it. I may, I may just eliminate my uh, um, Bluetooth. I got a noise canceling headset that works really well for the podcast. It keeps it nice and clear. But um, I'll, I'll keep monitoring that. But you're coming in loud and clear, so that's a good thing. Um, why don't we have you go ahead and, and kind of start and give us that kind of that 10,000 foot view of the uh, of Merrick's disease and and some of the uh, kind of hot topics in the past, a little bit about it, what it is, how it affects the bird, different things like that. And then I'll kind of gather some of these questions, myths, and rumors that we've had and that we've seen about it uh, that were a hot topic over on that uh, that site. Great. Well, thanks again for having me, Andy, and I hope you're doing well after the hurricane. I know um, a lot of people that are listening to you are glad to know you're doing fine. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, So um, that's that 10,000-foot view. I guess we should probably start there, and then we can kind of start – diving down into whatever specific topics um you know people are maybe slightly confused on or or whatever uh kind of rumors are are kind of floating around we can kind of address any of those um so i think at the most basic level um those of us that have chickens Merrick's disease is is something we have to know about um if there's one disease that that anyone's going to know anything about it wouldn't be avian influenza it wouldn't be exotic newcastle disease um, it wouldn't be salmonella. It would be Merrick's disease. Uh, Merrick's disease is the most common cause of mortality in your chickens. Um, so uh, it's especially in backyard chickens, it's, it's, it's a more significant problem than it is in the commercial poultry industry. Um, and that's because the commercial poultry industry does a really good job of controlling Merrick's using vaccines and biosecurity. Um, so that gives me a lot of hope, I think, for backyard poultry because um, you see what the potential is, um, that the commercial folks are so good at controlling that disease. It's very rare that you have any Merrick's disease in commercial poultry. So that tells me that if we can even get to 50% or 30% of that level of um, vaccination and biosecurity, that we can make a huge impact on um, mortality, on death from Merrick's disease. Um, and in California, and very, you know, more similarities and differences, um, that's the number one cause of mortality in backyard chickens in, in California, and I, I would be willing to bet that it's uh, number one in most other states also and around the world. So the virus is a, is a herpes virus, um, and herpes viruses, uh, especially the Merrick's herpes virus, is, is very tough in the environment. So they're very challenging to disinfect, um, especially when you have backyard poultry. You know, we always raise them in you know grassy, dirt-type areas. You can't disinfect dirt. Um, along with that and the uh, strength, uh, if you will, of the virus, it, it's almost impossible um, to get rid of. And, and the dogma is that you really don't get rid of it, that you have the virus in that environment there all the time, and you just need to lower the viral load as much as possible, vaccinate your birds, um, and um, that those are usually the, the two of the best uh, ways to kind of protect your birds. Just to tell you one quick joke, I had a... Um, a professor when I was in vet school, and uh, he used to always joke that there's two things that you can never get rid of, 
Uh, one are herpes viruses, and the other one is land in Pullman, Washington. And then he would joke that he has one of those. And he wouldn't tell us which one. <laughs> so, and he spoke from experience on one of them. The the point being, um, with all due respect to everyone in Pullman, Washington, uh, the point being that um, it's a ubiquitous virus. It's really tough. And um, once your birds have um, are carriers of the virus, doesn't mean they'll get the disease, but they can certainly be carriers and shed it and transmit it to other birds. And that brings up one other issue that, that backyarders have. Um, so backyarders are, are, for lack of a better phrase, notorious for having mixed-age flocks. And this is one of the reasons you don't want to have mixed-age flocks. Now, I'm never going to – I don't even make a point, really, of talking to backyarders about not having mixed-age flocks because it's just part of – the experience um, where people have you know, five birds and then a couple of them die and then they get um, birds from another source. Um, and, and the risk of that, um, especially if they're younger birds, is that you're getting those older birds um, can transmit disease to younger birds. And that's where you start running into problems of older birds being carriers, let's say, for Merrick's, not showing any clinical signs. Because once they get to about 20 weeks or so, typically for the most part they are um, not going to get any clinical signs of disease from Merrick's, um, but they can still carry the virus and they can expose younger birds to all kinds of diseases, including Merrick's disease, um, and that can cause obviously problems in those younger birds. So those mixed-age flocks can be can be a challenge, and I, I, I I'm not opposed to them in in a backyard setting. That's I, I think I've only met one backyarder that I know that really does kind of this all-in all-out kind of methodology. You know, you want all the birds kind of sourced from the same location. And um, before you move on to another flock someday, uh, those flock that that current flock would be either depopulated or would um, live out its natural lifespan until there's no more birds. Um, that's hard for people to do, um, and and is not as practical in a kind of a backyard setting. But it creates you know more risk for disease transmission. So it's just something to be aware of. Um, so a couple little factoids. So we we talked about the virus and how ubiquitous it is ubiquitous it is in nature. So anywhere you have chickens, you have Merrick's virus. Merrick's virus does affect a lot of other birds, but it seems to have highest mortality in uh, domestic poultry. Um, so again, it's, it's one of these diseases that um, we really need to know a lot about, and we have to know a little about how it spreads so we can kind of think about how to control it. Um, so it's a virus that causes, among other things, it can cause cancer. Um, so it's one of the first viruses that was actually known to cause, um, first animal viruses that was uh, known to cause cancer. So just as an interesting side note, um, when people realize that the Merrick's disease virus in chickens causes cancer in chickens, not in humans, um, people got really interested in that concept and they started thinking, well, maybe if we control viruses, we can control cancer. And that's true with some human viruses, like human papillomavirus, um, but unfortunately it's not true for all viruses. Um, but it's an interesting kind of historical footnote um, that uh, scientists got really interested in Merrick's. We know a lot about Merrick's because people were really interested in, is the cause of cancer a virus? And in some cases, absolutely it is, and in other cases, um, absolutely it's not. In animals, animals are a little more likely in general to get cancers from uh, a viral uh, source as opposed to humans for uh, whatever reason. Um, so the virus is, um, we said, ubiquitous in the environment. In the bird, it's mainly um, in um, an area of the skin called the feather follicle. That's just the little 
um, area on the skin that the feather actually grows out from. Um, and when those feathers are uh, released, um, that dander, that feather dander, um, as birds lose their feathers, that feather dander becomes a real concentrated packet, basically, of virus. And that can um, aerosolize um, and spread that virus from bird to bird, for example. So feather dander is a real important source of the virus in the environment and one of the most effective ways that the virus spreads. Feathers are obviously very uh, light and not very dense, so that um, ability to kind of aerosolize and kind of float in the air is one way that the virus can spread um, and shed uh, the environment um, with pathogenic Merrick's virus. Um, so it's really important then if we have younger birds um, that we're introducing to our flock or if we just want to lower what we call the viral load in the environment, we want to have our coops clean from feather dander. Um, so let's say you're um, going to bring in some new chickens um, and uh, you're going to be responsible. You're going to get those chickens from a hatchery that's MPIP approved um, for all the reasons we've talked about before and those birds are vaccinated, so you're doing all the things you're supposed to do um, when those birds come into your flock. The other thing that's really, really important to do is to make sure that the, um, the feather follicles, that feather dander, excuse me, that feather dander is removed from the, the litter um, from the, the substrate that you're, that you're raising those birds on, and that you wipe down surfaces, because we talked about this kind of aerosolization process where this virus, um, that's, that's concentrated in the feather kind of aerosolizes and it can end up in dust particles and it can end up on your coop. It can end up um, in all, on, on feeders and waters. So that dust material really needs to be um, what, I would, what, what I refer to as dry cleaned um, where you just want to take a rag and wipe everything down and then rake um, off, you know, maybe the, first, the top half inch of the, of the litter material that you have. At the minimum, you just want to get rid of that feather dander, um, and that reduces the viral load. So even if a vaccinated bird is brought into that environment, um, if they're vaccinated, you remember when a, any animal gets vaccinated against a virus or a bacteria or whatever it be, it takes a while to mount an immune response, probably about seven days or so in the case of Merrick's. So if we vaccinate those birds at day one of age, they are immunologically naive um, in the sense that they can't basically have a robust immune response uh, at least for seven days or so. Um, so there is a gap period there, and there's other ways to address that, but I think the easiest way and the lowest hanging fruit is to make sure that that feather dander is removed so we've reduced, mitigated, um, whatever term you want to use, the amount of virus in the environment. Um, so that's really important to think about. I think some people really focus on the vaccine, and, and, and vaccines, I think, sometimes get this perception among some people that, well, the vaccine is, is my Band-Aid, and it's going to cover up any problems that we have. And vaccines just aren't that good. Uh, vaccines do have failures. Um, vaccines protect against disease, um, but a lot of vaccines are what we call imperfect um, in that um, virus can still replicate inside um, those, those animals. Um, and we want to do everything we can to, to reduce the amount of virus that other species are exposed to. Um, and we'll talk a little more about, about the vaccination um, kind of approaches in a little. 
um, and including uh, what you can do in your own home. Merix is actually really nice, and it's one of the few, along with pox virus, one of the few vaccines that are relatively easy to get. They're inexpensive, um, and it's a really easy um, vaccine to give um, if, you, if you read a little about it and, and, and kind of go from there. Um, is this kind of the material you want just to start off with, this general stuff, before we answer any specific questions? Absolutely. And I'm not sure um, actually how many phone calls we'll have because on the particular thread where uh, actually there were a couple of posts I was looking at um, and I had posted on there I think earlier in the week that um, I would reach out to you to see about you know changing our topic for today to Merrick's and um, and all your credentials and um, that you know we would be taking calls and taking questions and um, I just found out that they apparently blocked me so apparently the uh, page is either jealous or they want to only have people oh, oh, only have people believe what they their agenda about Merrick's or I'm not really sure what what the case was because I was very polite. I, I didn't actually even use the trademark, the Chicken Whisperer. I didn't uh, post any links to my magazine or my book or um, my web page or even my Facebook page. I was just basically uh, I'd put on there. I uh, came back and said, "Hey, I've got you know I talked with Doctor um, Doctor Pateski, and um, we're on go for this Thursday at 2 p.m. and you'll be able to call in and ask your questions, and we'll straighten some of these, you know, make some of these myths and rumors and things out." And um, and so I didn't post anything like that as far as promoting Chicken Whisper or anything like that. Just hey, here's an you know here's an uh, expert in their field. We're going to be talking about this disease. You can call in so we can eliminate some of this myths and rumors. And apparently, at that particular page, I think it's called. I'm going to actually list it, and then of course they blocked me for trying to educate mm-hmm. folks on, you know, the and that's I guess I you know come across that if they uh, um, <laughs> if they uh, don't. Um, yeah, I know. Isn't it crazy? You try to educate, and then they. Uh, I think it's called. Let me find it. I'm going to name them though, so people can be forewarned. It's called um, Chicken Vet Corners. Chicken Talk, Chicken Vet Corners, Chicken Talk, and um, yeah, apparently they um, they um, deleted me, banned me, did something like that. But I still have folks that are on there that um, let's see what we have here that um, are copying and pasting some of the uh, some of the questions. So, um, but yeah, I can just I basically tell folks might want to stay away from that site because I guess if it doesn't meet their agenda whether it's fact or fiction, then uh, they'll, they'll delete you. So anyway, I did my best to try to get folks to um, uh, come over and listen to the show. I do have several callers here, so we may, they may just be listening. They may have some questions. But somebody did post over, and I've got some questions over there. My first question for you, um, and I don't know the answer to this, uh, but a, a, lot, a, lot of the, um, a lot of the, or some of the posts over there were, had to do with, um, uh, well, I only buy birds from a breeder that breeds out the Merrick's disease. So, um, and, and I don't have, I couldn't tell you for the first second if that is even legitimate or if it's possible or if it's um, reliable or if there's, if it's, I don't know. So that, that was one of the big threads on, on there when we were talking mm-hmm. about Merrick's. And someone said, oh, no, I only buy from this breeder because he uh, breeds birds that are immune 
and that are that will not get this and because it's all he, he breeds to be Merrick disease resistant. And that's that's the only place I buy my birds. So that's the first thing I wanted to jump into is that to get your two cents worth uh on that that theory. And again it may be absolute one hundred percent um, but, but a lot of people were doubting that. Like, really, are you serious? Or I've never heard of that. Or there, there may be different many strains of Merrick's disease. How, how can you do this? How can you be sure? And that type of thing. So that, that's the first thing I wanted to throw your way was, uh, you know, the, the, the post or the theory of I only buy Berg's from this breeder because they breed uh, Merrick's disease-resistant birds. Yeah, no, I've I've heard that before, and um, there is um, a line of research um, that occurs. Actually, the professor whose office is right next to mine uh, works on trying to identify village chicken in Africa um, that are uh, disease-resistant to a virus called exotic Newcastle disease um, because there's a huge food security issue there. Poultry are really important for um, a source of protein, uh, especially in, in some parts of Africa. And uh, there's a lot of interest in trying to identify uh, what genetic lines of village poultry um, have resistance against that virus, uh, for example. So there there are, you know, we talk about 150, 200 different um, uh, species or, or types of chicken um, that have uh, some that are fairly well understood from a commercial perspective, some that are not so well understood, and there's a lot of interesting genetics going on now trying to understand that. Um, what I would be really cautious of, if anyone ever says that something, a uh, species, uh, that, that one strain of chicken that they have is 100% uh, immune from Merrick's disease, there is no, uh, unfortunately, there is, there is no uh, absolutes in, in biology. And very rarely, if ever, do you ever have anything that's, that's 100%. That's just the nature of biology. Uh, we don't understand the genetics well enough. So there are researchers that are working on this, but there is no... Um, you know, there is no Merrick's uh, disease-free uh, immune super chicken out there, unfortunately, yet. Just like there's no uh, avian influenza one and there's no exotic Newcastle disease one. Now, there are like a, you know, there's a really famous uh, breed of chickens called Fayumi. Uh, so the Fayumi are, um, I think, uh, originally from uh, Middle East, primarily Egypt. Uh, so the Fayumi, for example, have are well known for their disease resistance against coccidia, um, even against Merrick's and avian influenza there's been some research on. But that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that the Fayumi are uh, 100% disease resistant against coccidia, for example. They just, um, when you do comparisons among different um, types of chicken, they, they usually do very well. The trade-off is that Fayumi are not very productive when it comes to eggs and meat, and that Fayumi, um, according to some people, are, are not the nicest of all chickens, um, so um, they can be a little challenging to work with. Um, but to answer your question, just in the, in the briefest sense of all, there, there is no uh, you know, super chicken that, that is going to be completely immune that you can say, oh, I'm going to mix this chicken with uh, whatever environment. I don't have to vaccinate them. I'm, I'm free of that because this, this chicken is, uh, is, 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 it was, was sold to me that way. There are folks so. that are working on that in a research environment, but it, more than anything, I always view these things as tools 
so um, there's no one tool, there's no one technique that is going to uh, work just by itself, unfortunately. You want to use a combination of things. That's why it's the same logic as people will say, well, I vaccinated the birds, so it'll be fine. It's like, nope, it's not, it's not fine. You have to go uh, to the next step where you have to remove that feather dander to re- reduce the viral load in the environment. Same thing here. You know, while some people might um, be investigating and, and might uh, be claiming that their birds um, have some um, disease resistance, um, that does not mean that you should then uh, throw uh, caution to the wind and, and not um, do the things that we talked about as far as controlling uh, the virus in the gotcha. environment. So it sounds kind of like safe to say that any backyard, quote-unquote, backyard breeder in the United States that's claiming, oh, my birds are merit-resistant, just tread lightly uh, with that. Uh, yes, right and that now. would be inaccurate. Yeah. I, I would not. I, again, you know, I'm a scientist, so you have to look in the literature. And um, right. I've never seen an article that, you know, this would be on the front cover of Science or Nature if you made a chicken that was uh, 100% disease resistant. I mean, that's a huge thing. Now, as right. we move into this world of CRISPR and some of the really interesting genetic modifications that are occurring, um, there's really some interesting potential there. Um, not only to cut out certain genes that that might make those um, species of chicken um, more um, susceptible, so now you can take out certain genes, but also put in genes that are potentially make them more disease resistant. And when you look at a lot of the you know interesting uh, village kind of poultry in certain parts of the world, there's been this natural selection over thousands of years to get to certain um, you know types of, of of genetics which have which have selected for some level of disease resistance. But um, we're, we're we're certainly not at this uh, all or nothing stage yet. I've got a phone call here coming in, and um, we're going to go to the phone lunch right now and bring this young lady on. She had messaged me, and uh, she's got a question for you about a particular beetle in relation to Merrick's disease. Caller, uh, go ahead and uh, ask your question. Thank you for calling in. Hey, Andy. Hey, Dr. Petesky. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good. I've got five minutes before i got to run to the doctors, but my question is darkling beetles and Merrick's disease. I know you mentioned a lot about feather dander and, you know, removing all that from the environment. But um, from my experience, which I discovered this past year, um, I live in the woods, North Florida. Darkwing beetles are ubiquitous in the environment. Mm -hmm. They get in the trees. They're a wood-boring insect. And they love poultry housing. They love compost piles, all of you name it. And in reading about um, darkwing beetles, they they carry Merrick's disease, leukosis as well as, you know, they're a host, a host for a lot of trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I was just wondering if you could touch base on that and what your thoughts were. Yeah, no, no, great question. So darkling beetles, and, and I mean this in kind of a silly sense, are kind of the boogeyman of the uh, of, of poultry folk because Horrible. Um, they, they, they cause, they, they can be carriers of a lot of diseases, including Merrick's disease, but also, you know, E. coli's infectious bursal disease, salmonella. Um, they're, they're definitely um, these kind of pathogen um, vectors, um, and, and they, they seem to thrive in poultry environments. Uh, it's, a, yeah. it's an issue in the commercial poultry industry. In California, where I'm calling from, um, they're really hard to control, um, in part because um, some of the fumigants that they used to use um, are not allowed anymore because of some of the environmental issues they cause. 
So I'm not super knowledgeable on how they're controlled. Um, I know, you know, from a commercial perspective, typically what you'll do is they'll 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 fester in kind of the deep litter. So you've yeah, got let's the say wood, a bro- the pine chips. I gutted my yep. I, I gutted all my pens, gutted the floors um, because they're dropping down out of the trees and crawling up into the pens. So I created mm-hmm. an environment. Less is better, you know, and right, I changed right. it out. I changed it out to sand and um, uh, just hmm. a crushed limestone, plain crushed limestone barn lime, the Waukesha barn lime. And um, it created uh, an, an inhospitable environment for them where they don't want to take residence in there, and it's worked wonderfully along with spraying a pesticide. I got over my fear of pesticides and chemicals because of them and um, mm-hmm. just made a huge turnaround with my flock. And it's just th- this, I have to say, I've dealt with predators. I've dealt with dogs feral cats, rats, darkling beetles, like you said, the boogeyman. It is the worst thing to deal with. Right, it kicked right. my butt. It was a make-or-break situation, and I was like, thank God I have a vet, and then I called the state vet, and it was just, it was it was amazing. And um, it just really opened my eyes to um, really just how bad bugs are for poultry health. I mean, people turn their flocks out and know they're free-range and eat all the, eat all the bugs, and then they wonder why their birds get sick. Mm-hmm. Well, because the bugs they're eating are quite probably pathogenic. They carry parasites and God knows what else, you know. And um, yeah, it's ter- It's like when when you get it and you see it from that aspect. Yeah, it's 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 scary. Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree with you. It's a really interesting topic. Um, and and even you know the, the commercial folks who focus on these things can't control them very effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, they, they have fumigants and other things like that. But even when they were able to use those in California, they still had problems. Yeah. Um, oh, and they're, they're, well, like I said, they're a night, they're a night flying beetle. Um, how mm-hmm. they came in was from my next door neighbors because they have, um, we'll just leave it poor animal husbandry, husbandry practices. And I had um, a bug zapper lamp up to for the mosquitoes because it's it's Florida, and they're attracted mm-hmm. to the light. Then they pulled themselves over even further, and they were attracted to the solar lights that I had all set up in front of my in front of my pens. So basically, I ripped I ripped out all the outdoor lighting, so I'm living in in, in the dark at night, you know, hmm. to to prevent them from coming in. I don't have an, uh, a yard light, and that's okay, because it's you know it means better for my birds. Right, right. But yeah, it's um, yeah. They're like I said, you know. And I see these ads for buy this coop light, and I sit there and I shake my head like, no, no, night flying insects, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're 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 definitely. Uh, it's it's not as intuitive to control as predators, um, and and in many ways they're almost impossible to control anyhow. Um, so it creates its own. There, there are some real challenges there on how to deal with them. I, I think um, there, at least in California, we have uh, some veterinary entomologists, a poultry entomologist at University of Riverside, and uh, they mainly focus on ectoparasites. But it'd be really interesting at some point, Andy, to get uh, someone uh, either from uh, you know UC Riverside or someone else who could really talk about um, darkling beetles and and uh, how to control them because that that's a really that's a really interesting topic. What was fascinating, how I actually stumbled upon the problem, was I was finding these little teeny tiny squiggly one millimeter um, eggs, whatever you call them, they were in the chicken feces every time the chicken would have, yeah, and, and they would come out moving. So I took them to my veterinarian to have her do 
a, a fecal test, and she couldn't figure out what they were. Mm-hmm. And th- like three days after I took one sample to her, three days later I'm, I'm, I, I do teeny tiny small, very small bantams and my prized birds. I actually have my own separate chicken room set up. Um, and one set of prized birds I had, I have, I have a pop-up cages and they're wire cages and a pull-out tray on the bottom. And well, the female had just happened to have a, a movement right in front of me. Those eggs came out, so I went and put on rubber gloves and grabbed a pop- popsicle stick and was digging around in the poop, and I found a very, very teeny, teeny, tiny tapeworm. Hmm. And I called the vet. I said, Carla, I found a tapeworm. She said, it's rare, I doubt it, but bring it in. Hmm. And before I left, I looked up on the Merrick's Veterinary Manual and actually identified the species, took it to her, and I told her, this is what it is. And she actually looked at it, and she's like, you're right. She goes, but we still don't know what these other things are. So I I got a hold of the state veterinarian, and he goes, that type of tapeworm comes from darkling beetles. And hmm. I'm like, How about that? And I'm like, so this is, so these little tiny egg things that my vet hunted high and low in the textbooks trying to find out how it related to avian parasites, and I asked the, the state vet, so these are the darkling beetle eggs? coming out the little he goes yes they are i said how in the world are they able to survive the digestive tract and come out the other end alive he goes they've adapted Mm -hmm. i mean i got i just like boogeyman again terrifying yeah they're 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 amazing especially after with all the moisture that's um in the southeast that's that's going to be a real issue so it's important that that uh folks in general for all kinds of reasons you try to keep your litter material dry as possible Mm -hmm. Uh, again, clean spilled feed, um, and then when you do have any downtime, um, allow that um, that environment to uh, incorporate downtime into your husbandry practices. And what I mean by downtime is just make sure that there's no poultry in in that in that space for around two weeks, um, because then that reduces the amount of organic material that's there and can help um, mitigate um, the beetles. Um, yeah. Along with um, you know removing litter um, also occasionally. I don't always like doing removing the litter part um, because if the birds are Nobody healthy. Nobody does because it's backbreaking and it's grueling <laughs> work. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's just not you know if if the the, the litter has its own microbial ecology and if all the birds are healthy, I don't really want to uh, create a uh, a niche for some new pathogen to come in. So. Right. Um, but the other things are, are, are certainly worth considering. And then, like you kind of implied, some of the um, – there's some of the formaldehyde, and I'm sure there's organic alternatives, um, which I'm not familiar with um, in there's, all honesty. Uh, the state vet recommended a, cyf- a cyflorothin pesticide, okay. um, the Tempo. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. He, he said they use it in the commercial poultry housing um, here. He told me to go and get some of that. It's rather expensive, but – it really, um, it really knocks it out, and actually got rid of a lot of palmetto bugs too, because hmm. palmetto bugs, they're, they can be up to about two inches long, big juicy things that the chickens love, and those carry a lot of um, ascarids, mm-hmm. the roundworms, which is you know a common problem. So really, just mm-hmm. you know hitting that with the insect, the insects, and and how bad they can be in relation, you know, and and in. For biosecurity and just really understanding that, I mean, my eyes just completely uh, an eye opener. Yeah, terrifying. Mm-hmm. But and it was a make or break 
make a break situation, and I'm glad that I had a veterinarian and a really good state veterinarian and that I was able to turn the situation around before I lost a lot of birds because, um, yeah, it, it'll sneak up on you because everybody's oh, yeah. attitude is like, oh, yeah, it's just a bug, let the birds eat it. Hmm. You know, and um, actually finding out, no, nah, they might not want to eat that. Right. <laughs> well, I'm impressed by your entomology knowledge. You you become a quite the quite the entomologist there. I I this is something I discussed with Andy, and I'm waiting for Dr. McCray to give me a call. And even my own veterinarian said, "You need to go to school. This is your passion." <laughs> um, yeah. That's great. So, yeah, I, I am considering wanting to get involved in something with poultry science because, um, yeah, chickens chickens have been the longest relationship I've ever had in my life, other than, you know, my son, 15 <laughs> years old, but it's the longest I've ever stuck to anything, and um, I love it. I really do, and I enjoy helping people and opening their eyes, too. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So i got to run. Awesome. i got to get it to the doctor. Yep. So, <laughs> so thank awesome. You so well, much, thank you. Sir. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for calling me. in. We appreciate it. And, um, uh, yeah, her, she really does a good job with her flock. She's got some beautiful birds, and uh, she posts them uh, many times on Facebook. And, and even Dr. McRae, she sent me an email once after corresponding with Carrie, and she's like, dude, you've got to have her, you know, write an article about her experience with these, these beetles. And, uh, uh, you know, McRae was like, I wish it would be so wonderful if every chicken owner was this serious about, you know, biosecurity and, and identifying things instead of just, oh, look, I got a cute sweater for my chickens and I'd like to give them, you know, oatmeal in the morning. So it was, uh, she really does a good job. So thank you very much for calling, Gary. We appreciate that. Looks like we had somebody just call in from a 404 number, which is out of Atlanta. I'm not sure if they're calling in to listen or if they actually have a question. Um, but I am going to, uh, we'll see here in just a second if they've got uh, a question. We'll bring them on live here in just a second, and uh, and see they may just want to be calling in to uh, listen. Caller calling in from area code four zero four. Uh, do you have a question about Merricks for Dr. Pateski? Okay, then maybe they're just calling in to actually listen. Let's move on to the next uh, hot topic that we saw. And, and, there, and we, you and I have talked about this on, on a previous Merrick show, but it, again, was a kind of a hot topic, and people were posting about it um, on that particular uh, thread. And that was about, and, it, and you'll know what I'm talking about when we talk about this, they were saying, oh, I'm not going to do Merrick's because it causes Merrick's, and it's a leaky vaccine. And so if I do it, then all my chickens are going to get it. And then, you know, then I have to do it again, even though it's supposed to be once-in-a-lifetime vaccine. So, so now we're kind of switching gears a little bit and going over to the fat versus the first question we had before the caller was about uh, you know, somebody claiming that they breed Merrick's resistance in their backyard block. And um, then we had the caller, and now this one, uh, if you're just tuning in. And uh, so... so Maybe you can kind of explain the vaccine a little bit. Is it a one time and you're done? Can you do it several times? What, you know, kind of what if you have a flock that was vaccinated and now you just bought, we already talked about earlier about different having different age um, uh, ages of chickens together. You know, we kind of uh, talked about discouraging that. But um, as far as the vaccine, is it a one time and you're done? Can you do it multiple times? Uh, if I have chickens that are vaccinated and then I get some that aren't, or maybe I have some that aren't vaccinated and these new chicks I just ordered are, and then uh, the, the, the term, you know, with the leaky vaccine or um, the fact that, 
well, if they get it and I vaccinate, then my others are going to get it. Uh, just, you know, you can just kind of see where I'm going with this, kind of uh, open that door for us to, to learn a little bit about the, the vaccine and um, fill us in on that for us, Doc. Yeah, so the, the vaccine, there, there is some complexity there, um, and, and I'm going to try to make it as practical and, and kind of focused on kind of the backyard type focus possible. Um, so okay. the, the vaccine can be given two ways. So if you have a hatchery um, that um, gives Inovo vaccines, and that's just a fancy word for they give the developing embryo the Merrick's vaccine at day 18 of embryonation. So the chicken hatches at day 21. So you can give it a little early, and you literally just bore a hole into the, into the shell and give the vaccine into the embryo that way. Um, if you do that, the advantage of that is that you um, – remember we talked about that seven days or so that it takes to get an immune response. So if you do it at, at day 18, it's got a few days before it hatches. And that just gives the immune system in the in the chick a little head start to start developing an immune response instead of waiting till day one of age, which is the other option. So uh, again, if you work with a hatchery or if you just hatch your own um, chicks, um, I would highly recommend um, always doing day one of age vaccination. All the research says that the virus is ubiquitous in the environment. So the dogma is that if you vaccinate later on, day two, one week, one month, whatever it be, those will not hurt, but they won't help. So uh, the two um, best options for vaccinating are in the, the Inovo vaccine through your hatchery. Um, and some hatcheries uh, um, don't have the uh, right equipment for that. And that's fine um, for, for, I think, for backyard purposes, as long as someone is doing a day one of age vaccine. Um, and there's um, a lot of research that shows why you want to obviously vaccinate earlier than later. Now, some people say, well, my chicken is living two, three, four, five years. Should I boost? Should I give a, a booster vaccine every year for Merrick's disease? Um, so the reality is, is that um, there's a lot of different types of Merrick's disease out there. But for the most part, after about 20 weeks or seven months or so, you don't really see Merrick's disease in, in your birds. Um, so I would say between two and seven months are, are kind of the, the kind of hot spot where you're going to really see them. Are there exceptions? Absolutely. I get all kinds of interesting um, emails and phone conversations from backyarders uh, showing path reports, um, uh, necropsy results that show that they had Merricks or most likely had Merricks in, in a slightly older bird. So it does happen, but, but that, that kind of area between those two and seven month period is probably what you want to kind of focus on the most as far as um, when they get the disease. Now, the vaccine, there, there are a couple different types of vaccine. The only one I'm going to really talk about is what's called turkey, uh, turkey herpes virus vaccine or HVT vaccine. Um, so this is a, a very, this is a um, genetically related uh, virus to Merrick's disease. Um, but the virus does not cause Merrick's disease. That's why it's the vaccine strain. So the immune system in the chicken uh, creates an immune response. It creates antibodies um, to um, the uh, strain, to this herpes virus of, of, of turkey's herpes virus um, um, virus. Um, and then it, um, but, the, but the virus itself is not pathogenic. So you cannot... Um, get exposed to that vaccine and get Merrick's disease. Your other chickens can't do that. So if you have a, a chicken that's vaccinated and you have a chicken that's unvaccinated next to it, 
the vaccinated bird, the um, if that if that vaccinated bird is exposed to the vaccine, the excuse me, if the unvaccinated bird is exposed to the vaccinated bird, it is not going to get the uh, Merrick's disease from the vaccination itself. Now, I think where people might be getting confused, and, and this is a slightly even more complicated topic is there has been some research. So the Merrick vaccine is, is, is a, what we call an imperfect vaccine. So vaccinated birds can still um, produce, they can still get exposed to the virus, to the wild type or the, the natural uh, Merrick disease, and they can still produce virus. Now, there has been some research, and there's an, a pretty well-known article in a journal called Plus One that came out in 2015, um, and there has been some research that vaccinated birds um, do produce more of the wild-type virus than unvaccinated birds. It is not, however, from the vaccine. So it's really important to realize that the vaccine, if you squirt that vaccine on, a, on your chicken, that your chicken is not going to get Merrick's disease. The whole point of a vaccine is to expose them to something that looks like Merrick's disease or that looks like salmonella, that looks like uh, avian influenza, but doesn't cause those diseases or else we'd be causing the disease. Um, but some vaccines, including some of the Merrick's vaccines, apparently can cause the birds that are vaccinated to produce more of the natural virus that can cause disease. And if those birds are exposed to unvaccinated birds, there definitely is more potential for disease transmission in that scenario, according to that plus one article. And that plus one article didn't say anything totally groundbreaking. We, we know the idea of this imperfect vaccine hypothesis and that, that it, it can boost the amount of virus um, of, of what we call wild type or just the normal virus in the environment it can boost that amount while the bird doesn't show any clinical signs because you vaccinated your birds. Now, what this all means for people is that if you want to protect your chickens, you need to vaccinate your birds. You need to get rid of that feather dander. If you want to um, not vaccinate, if you have unvaccinated birds, you know, the, the question comes up then is should I, should I have my unvaccinated birds not close to vaccinated birds? You should have that no matter what. So if you have two flocks, your neighbor's flock and your flock, and your flock is not vaccinated and your neighbor's flock is vaccinated, you still don't want, quote, unquote, play dates with those birds because who knows what other diseases are being um, potentially shared, mycoplasmas and E. coli and things like that. So it's really important in your own flock to do the best you can from a, and this all goes back to, you know, something we talk about in every article and something we talk about in every radio show. It really goes back to biosecurity. Um, how, what are you doing to prevent and to mitigate exposure of wild-type Merrick's disease to your chickens, whether they're vaccinated or not? It, that's, that's the, the, to me, that's the, the, the main point. Was that totally confusing, or does that make a little, a little sense there? No, it does. Let me just ask this more simple question here, too, to, to kind of wrap this up. I may have another one, though. Um, is the statement, uh, there's no benefit to vaccinating older birds. Um, yeah, that's, that's as simple as that. Because some people will say, well, my birds have never been vaccinated. Now they're 18 months old. Maybe they're two years old. Maybe they're seven months old. But um, it, would, would that, and maybe it's too scientific to just say true or false, but um, there is no benefit in vaccinating older birds, yes or no, or maybe some theory yeah, so, behind that? So I'm going to say um, there is no benefit for that bird. 
Um, but if you are, if your bird, if you are uh, collecting hatching eggs, um, if you vaccinate a hen, then the chicks from that hen will have maternal antibodies, and those maternal antibodies can offer some protection for about three weeks. Now, Marek's disease, you can get exposed to the virus, you know, really quickly when they're really young. So that those that three weeks gives you some um, protection. But the reality is now that after three weeks, when those maternal antibodies have um, all gone down and are no longer present in there, you don't have the same immune response that a vaccinated chick would have. So to answer your question really in the brief in the briefest sense, if you just have backyard chickens and you have an old bird, no reason to vaccinate those birds. They, they've already been exposed to Merrick's. Um, if they're older than 20 weeks or older than seven months, let's say they're 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 very rarely, if ever, going to get any disease. They all are carrying the virus, but their immune system has controlled it. Um, so it, it, you don't have to vaccinate them after day one of age. The dogma is there's no you can vaccinate if you want, but you're just wasting time and 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 money. But if you want to boost them, sure, boost them. It's not going to hurt them. It's not going to do anything. If you hatch your own eggs. Um, you can make an argument, especially if you're not going to vaccinate for whatever reason um, in those chicks, you could make an argument like, well, I'm going to vaccinate the mom, and then I'm going to get maternal antibodies in the chick. Um, and the, but the problem with that is that the maternal antibodies only last for about three weeks. Um, so you have no protection after that from any kind of vaccine type of uh, vaccine-based protection. Okay, good. I'm going to ask this question, too, because I'll forget. I've almost forgotten, and it came back to me. Um, and just because someone had mentioned on my Facebook page, uh, listening to the show, um, the classic signs and symptoms uh, of merits, uh, if you would. Just, uh, that's a question on our Facebook page. So you go in your backyard, and you see this uh, one, maybe two um, chickens. You're like, okay, what's going on? And, and maybe kind of classic signs and symptoms, and maybe kind of how they progress, what you would see over uh, a couple of days or so of having a uh, hand uh, with Merrick's. Yeah, so there, there's a few main types of Merrick's. There's a neurologic form, a visceral form, an ocular form, and a cutaneous form. So um, the most common one that we typically see um, is a neurologic form where um, they, they usually get, for whatever reason, the sciatic nerve in their kind of pelvic area. Um, that gets these kind of tumors on it. There's an inflammation there, um, and that then their legs are basically unable to move their legs. Sometimes that's actually a transient paralysis. So um, sometimes they're just almost like stuck there for a little while, and you're like, hey, that bird's not moving, and the next day you see it moving again. That's usually on the way to this kind of more permanent paralysis where they can't move at all. So often what you'll see is almost like a, a chicken that's just um, um, basically not moving and kind of splayed out on the ground. Um, and, and I'll have people, you know, call me, and they'll say, well, my chicken is kind of lying funny and it's not hungry at all. It's not going to the feeder or the water. water. Um, or it looks like they have like a, you know, just a severe lameness, and they're like, huh, there must be something wrong with its leg or something like that. Um, but really what's going on is they're having tumor formation, the neurologic form of Merrick's disease, and that's why they're emaciated. Uh, that's why they're dehydrated. Uh, that's why they're, you know, it looks like they have no interest in, in feed or water. But in reality, um, 
in, in reality, they've got this, this virus. So you'll see them kind of in this uh, splayed out fashion. Their legs are kind of um, sometimes kind of, I guess I would say, kind of cattywampus from each other, um, if that makes sense. Um, the ocular form, you'll see kind of a, a graying, typically, of their, um, of their iris. Um, so it's a little more subtle to look for, but you can certainly see that. Um, a visceral form, a little hard to know that because that's inside the viscera, but you'll start seeing um, tumors in liver and spleen, uh, gonads. So ovaries, for example, will have um, tumors, but that's really hard to know until you do a necropsy. Um, and then the cutaneous form on the actual skin where the feather follicle is, you'll see um, kind of uh, reddened feather follicles with kind of bumps, lumpy bumpies on them. Um, so it just looks like almost like really big goosebumps, I guess is the way I would describe it. Um, uh, and they can kind of scab over, um, and there can be virus in there too. So it's really important when you're dealing with those kind of birds um, that you're not, you know, picking at any kind of scab and then touching other birds because it's a great way to uh, transmit virus. Um, but those are the main forms of it. It's a really hard disease to definitively diagnose because there are other uh, viruses that do cause some of the same clinical signs. So we talk a lot about uh, lymphoid leukosis, for example, and um, uh, the other one is um, reticule uh, endotheliosis. Um, but those are there are there are a lot of similarities between some of these viruses, lymphoid leukosis and reticular endotheliosis, and Merrick's disease, the Merrick's disease virus. When you look at the clinical signs about where you're seeing lesions and things like that, and there are some differences. Um, so pathologists are really good at kind of teasing out those differences. But for uh, people like myself and other lay people, it can be very challenging to know which one is which. And sometimes you just work on the history of like, okay, this bird's about this age. Merrick's disease is so common, so we're going to go with Merrick's instead of uh, one of the other diseases, for example. Okay, tough question. I know a lot of scientists don't like to answer this question um, because obviously you don't have the connection to the birds. This may be, again, that backyard flock. But let's say that you saw these symptoms, you took that bird to the vet, um, the DNA necropsy would confirm that it was Merrick's. At that point, uh, someone had mentioned on one of the posts was, you know, her, at the very beginning of her post, because she had had it, her flock was, coal, 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 coal. And so uh, I know that sometimes for a lot it's difficult to just say call them. But um, so, so in that scenario, you, you confirm through that through a necropsy is Merrick's. Maybe you don't have the other eight birds you have in your backyard showing symptoms. Um, do you call? Do you wait and see what happens? Um, and before I forget my next question, so that's kind of the first question at that point, what, what to do, you've got one confirming I've got eight other birds. And then, um, see, I knew I was going to forget the other question. Um, <laughs> oh, the other question is, if you have some that get it and survive, and maybe you have a kind of a rough percentage of how many if they get it, you know, maybe a slim number, but if you do happen to have some that uh, went through the symptoms and, and they survived, um, with that bird or those birds that survive through all the symptoms and having it, are they now, because people will say they're immune or they're resistant or they'll never get it again, or could there be another type of merits that they could get? We talked about some other, some different types on the show. So I guess those two questions, <laughs> I'm afraid I'll forget them, and then after the show it'll be too late. <laughs> no, great, great, great questions. And um, So the cold question, to answer the first one first, 
Um, the cold question, I, I would not cull the birds because the virus is so ubiquitous. They're, they're all, and this kind of answers both at the same time at some level. Um, they're all, any bird that, that, that we have right now in our backyard is a survivor. They were exposed to the virus and they didn't get the disease. Uh, so just like you and I, you know, if we're on an airplane together and someone has uh, the flu next to us, uh, maybe you get sick and I don't get sick. Um, you know, immune systems are, are kind of silly things and complicated things, and some birds, um, for whatever reason, you know, they, the genetics can be exactly the same, and some birds get, get, get uh, the disease and others don't. We don't completely understand why that's so. There's all kinds of, you know, general ideas on why that's so. But I, I wouldn't cull the birds because if they're just carriers and they're doing fine, they're probably carriers of mycoplasma also and they're doing fine. They're carriers of E. coli and they're doing fine. Um, we're not dealing with a disease that's zoonotic. It doesn't affect us. Um, you know, the next batch of birds that we get in, those birds are also going to be carriers. So uh, unless we're dealing with, uh, you know, other diseases um, that we can control a little better, let's say like infectious laryngeal tracheitis, if we had a bird that had those, we could certainly talk about culling. Uh, if we had birds that had salmonella enteritidis, we would talk about culling. Um, but for merics, um, just because the next batch of birds we're going to get is going to get it also, um, why would we cull if we already know that the next batch of birds, if we look, we're probably going to find virus um, in, in, inside those birds eventually. Uh, there'd be no value in, in culling, in my opinion. I think most uh, folks would kind of have that uh, perspective uh, with research backgrounds and veterinarians and things like that. And then um, as far as um, the second question, you know, is the survivors and, and getting it, we kind of answered that a little in the first question, but, but just to reiterate, um, those survivors are carriers. Um, so, again, they can, be, they can expose other birds to the virus, um, but those birds didn't get sick. So uh, the, the, all our birds in our backyards right now are, are, are survivors, quote-unquote, um, so we want more of those. The vaccinated birds are survivors. The unvaccinated birds that got exposed to virus that, that survived, um, they also are survivors. So, um, I, I, there's, there's those, that, that, that's kind of, you know, kind of, I think the expectation that they're all, the majority of these birds will be carriers and survivors. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. I was actually, um, talking with another young lady who's listening to the show that, um, was still talking about or had some more questions about the um, um, issue of breeding, you know, breeding, you know, resistant birds to, say, merics or what have you. So, no, thanks for describing it because I know a lot of people were like, ah, I, I, it's merics and I have to call my whole flock. And there was even a post on that um, uh, page that was, you know, oh, cool, 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 cool. I had this and I started with 100 birds and I had three left over and da 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 Is the, I don't remember in the show, because like I said, I'm doing nine things at once trying to talk with folks and make sure I get the questions that they want asked via instant messenger chat room or whatever. Um, a, is there uh, a roundabout number of uh, uh, that die mortality? I guess, you know, if, if your flock gets this or the ones that show symptoms, there's a 80% chance they would succumb to this or any, any kind of number like that to, to look out for that they expect? That's a really good question, and I don't know the answer. And I think for backyarders, it's going to get even more complex because you have so many different breeds that people are, are, are raising. Um, so I, I don't, the short answer is I don't know the answer to that. Um, we do have in the commercial world – um, you will have outbreaks of merics. You know, for example, the Inovo vaccine, vaccination is, is given in the wrong compartment. Um, 
and you'll have all these birds that are unvaccinated basically in, in a flock together and you'll see you know maybe you know anecdotally from stories i've heard maybe 20 percent mortality um in in kind of a commercial strain um and people will be like well, people will be asking like well, why are we having merricks in our flock we vaccinated against them and then you'll go back to the to the vaccination process and you'll realize that uh, there was something wrong in the um, in the machine or um, you weren't able to maintain uh, the vaccine uh, properly or that it was being given in the, in the wrong compartment um, because the, the vaccination is really important when you do the Inova vaccine, but it actually has to be given um, correctly, just like all vaccines before it can be uh, efficacious. Okay. I'm going to we, we touched on this before, um, but I'm uh, I'm going to ask it maybe a little bit in simple form, or maybe you explained it, but I didn't maybe ask it at this simple. And this was coming from another question from from online. If I have birds that have survived having merits, the signs and symptoms and and you know, whatever treatments, and and now they're back to again somewhat normal life. If I breed those birds, um, would that go toward, because earlier on, the first question I asked you was about, you know, oh, this backyard birder he talks about, or she talks about, you know, I sell birds that are um, um, developed to, you know, uh, be resistant to merics. So, if they, uh, you know, uh, maybe that's how they think they started. I don't know. I had birds that had merics, and now I use those birds, and I breed those birds, and so obviously I'm breeding this resistance into all the chicks that I hatched, because I'm breeding birds that once had it, and they got over it. So, that that kind of theory, or that way of thinking is that um is there any merit to that so i'm sorry i lost you for one second there so the idea that the birds are are immune because what i'm sorry okay sure yeah no problem so i may have broke up a little bit again hurricane lack of (laughs) everything else here but so um and and i don't know because i don't know this person it's just people are now kind of popping up with these questions on my thing because that was controversy we talked about at the beginning of the show about um, just I'm a backyard breeder, and the birds that I sell are uh, resistant to merics, or I, I sell uh, resistant, you know, birds. Anyway, so the theory would be: that someone asked the question, if this, if you had birds that had merics confirmed, and they survived through this ordeal, maybe through the signs and symptoms and whatever they had, but now you've got adult birds that one time had it, showed symptoms of it, and now they're back to quote unquote normal. If I breed those birds, then is the the thought process of ooh, since these birds I'm breeding had merics at one time, they had the symptoms, they got over it, hallelujah! Now they're immune, or now they're you know now I can breed these birds, and now all their offspring are going to be disease resistant to merics. Yeah. So now I, I I heard you this time. So so um okay, you sure. know, in in a in a general sense, that's the idea of selective breeding is that you you know identify um whatever characteristic you're trying to to um, amplify um and breed that those characteristics into you know future flocks um you know genetics is really complicated so you know the idea that um um you're going to be able to take uh, a hen and a rooster and uh both of them let's say you know didn't get the disease they were exposed to merrick's while the rest of the flock died the idea that their offspring will have, um, you know, this super resistant gene, if if that even exists, um, is it, just not that that that's that's a simplification of how genetics works. 
Um, <laughs> so it's just not that easy. I mean, it, it, there's, um, you know, uh, you have to see which genes are dominant, which ones are recessive, and then you've got all these uh, recombinations of genes. So it, it, it's like, as we all know intuitively, uh, these are really complicated things, and um, it just doesn't happen like when you take, um, you know, the, the, the two survivors, uh, let's say, in, in, the, in this kind of scenario where you had like 100 birds and a rooster and a hen magically survived, which is certainly possible, obviously. Um, I've certainly seen it happen where, you know, you've gone into a hen house and you hear stories about, you know, avian influenza and, you know, it wipes out 90% of a flock. And then there's a handful of birds that are still kind of kicking and doing fine. Um, you always wonder, like, well, what's going on there? You know, the, the genetics of commercial poultry aren't, aren't too variable. Like, the, the idea is to have, you know, uniformity mm-hmm. and, and some consistency. So it is interesting that they survive, but you can make arguments. These are not controlled experiments, so you can make arguments that they just weren't exposed to as much of the virus yet or, or whatever it be. But it, it is, you know, the, I, I think the, the viewers are on to something, listeners are on to something interesting, um, but these are not, you know, it's not kind of that linear process, unfortunately, of, of just... Um, that kind of breeding yeah. to get your 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 desired outcome it, it takes it takes a little more unfortunately understanding and and this is where you know all the genetics and uh, whole genome sequencing and RNA seq and you know CRISPR and all these other things are kind of moving toward but we don't really understand what all the you know ten twenty thousand genes that a chicken has we don't really understand the function of all of them yet um, including the immune and disease resistant uh, genes. Okay. I'm going to place you on hold for just a second, Doc. I'm going to go to a quick commercial break, and I'm going to give the number out in case there's folks there listening that just didn't get the number um, because I did post as much as I could uh, over on the, which, of course, we don't recommend the Chicken Vet Corners Chicken Talk webpage or a Facebook group because uh, we were trying to do this specifically for their group, have their group call in and have some expert uh, advice and to, to their questions and have them call in. And then when they saw that this was happening, they they from their site and said, no, we can't have um, any real educational information on our site. Sorry, maybe they got jealous. So, um, but I'm going to go to commercial break, and um, I'm going to go ahead and give the number. So if anybody is listening that wants to call, uh, that was from that side or any side for that matter, our regular listeners, if you want to call and ask a question before we have to let Dr. Pateski go, it's three four seven six three seven thirty two thirty seven. That's 347-637-3237. You can go ahead and call in now if you have any questions. I know some people get kind of radio shy and, no, I don't ask on air. That's why I had so many things going on while you were talking to get these other questions that people are messaging me and posting on the Facebook page. So I'll go to a quick commercial break if you got some questions about Merrick. Um, 347-637-3237. We'll be right back after the short break. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. 
Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Come back. Come back, From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H-Feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Remind everybody that you can see everything uh, and anything about us at chickenwhisperer.com. Um, you can head over there. You can see the books that we've got out. Um, you can uh, actually subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine and see every article and every episode, uh, every issue that we've uh, uh, published in the last uh, four years. And uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. And you can sign up to get a reminder every time there's a new podcast. I apologize for the uh, sound. Um, the Bluetooth wasn't seemed to be working, and the internet's uh, marginal at best. Came once it was a tropical storm. We still have lots of power outages in the area, trees down, across roads, and things like that. So um, hopefully it was uh, well enough to where you could um, stay with us and listen and learn something from. Uh, today's uh, topic with our good friend, Dr. Maurice Potesky, uh out at UC Davis, and uh, we're going to bring him back on now. And I uh, didn't have any call-ins, Doc, so um, and I, I tried to filter through all the questions that were being sent over here to me. I'm going to check one more time to make sure we don't miss anything, um, but I think that was probably about it. If um, any listeners have any questions, you can, of course, send me over an email at cw at chickenwhisperer.com. 
And um, now we do those, and uh, we forward those over to Dr. Potesky, our um, Dr. McRae, and, and other folks on, on our Chicken Whisperer team uh, that join us on occasion and uh, try to get some answers back uh, to you. But um, anything you want to wrap up with? I know all all the disease topics that we always talk about kind of go back to uh, prevention, which is great, and biosecurity. And, you know, we talk a lot about that on on the show. But was there anything? It's kind of stuck out in your mind that, you know, oh, Merrick, this, I need to mention this, that, or the other, or, or anything before we uh, let you go get back to work. Yeah, the only, um, you, you read my uh, you read my mind there, Andy. <laughs> the last thing I was going to mention was, you know, all if, if you get confused on anything that we talked about today, that the takeaway is that um, because Merrick's is, is so um, ubiquitous and has uh, the potential to, to, to transmit uh, to, to unexposed chickens, um, it's really important to focus on biosecurity. I mean, this is a perfect example of how we can really uh, reduce risk by reducing the virus in the environment. Um, and the way we do that is by getting rid of dander and dust. Um, and we do that by that dry cleaning, taking a rag and, and really wiping down things. I, I have all these people always ask me what uh, disinfectant they should use. And I think it's just human nature. We want something to spray onto a material and make it look like, you know, perfectly clean. And, and, and I'm um, not immune to that also. I have the same feeling. But the dry cleaning, the, the removal of the contaminated litter and, the, and the, just the dusting just with a, an old um, um, rag is so essential. That's, if you're going to do anything, those are the two things I'd highly recommend. And then the vaccine thing, we talked about some subtleties there and when to vaccinate. Um, and, and some of the subtleties of vaccination as far as exposure to non-vaccinated birds, but the, the take-home message is that the vaccine um, is an attenuated strain. These are, these are, these are purposely made um, to not get birds sick. So the vaccine is not going to get the birds sick. Uh, there is no uh, research that shows that a vaccinated um, the vaccine strain will get you sick. That's the whole point of a vaccine is to is to not get you sick and to get the uh, uh, your immune system to trick your immune system into uh, mounting an immune response. The next time it does see something that um, is is like Merrick. So um, the vaccination is really important. Work with your hatchery. Work with your feed store. The only thing I would tell people is if you go to a feed store and you ask them when you're going to buy chicks if those birds are vaccinated. If they don't know, you should ask them to find out. If the birds are not vaccinated, the vaccines are literally pennies. So um, my own personal philosophy is um, if they can't get you the vaccinated um, birds, you wonder what other shortcuts they might be taking. Um, it is always an option. It should always be an option from a hatchery and a feed store to do that. And the only way that um, feed stores and hatcheries are going to start vaccinating and making that the, the normal, the new normal, is if we as consumers um, insist on it. Um, so I've talked to feed stores and hatcheries, and they're like, yep, we'll do it, but we haven't really been, we haven't really had that much uh, focus on it from, from consumers. So it's the consumers that really drive the process. And I think there's a good space there for, for hatchery and for feed, store, for feed stores to say, hey, all our birds are vaccinated against Merrick's. We do that because, you know, we care about our customers. So I think there's space for that. We just need to kind of insist on it and start holding uh, those folks accountable. So that's my own uh, Talking about the vaccines, a question just popped up, talking about the, you know, because, you know, recommending when you order those chicks, there's, like you said, a quarter per bird. I mean, it really is pennies uh, when you have that done. And uh, literally, as you were talking about that instant message said, 
Um, so uh, there was a mention over on that, that page that said something like, the vaccine will not prevent your birds from getting disease. Uh, Merrick, the, the Merrick's vaccine will not prevent your birds from getting Merrick's. It will only lessen the effects of Merrick's when they get that. And so would that be, um, a, uh, I guess, a false statement? True statement? Loaded question? <laughs> <laughs> well, so they, 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 the, the vaccine reduces any clinical signs. So the disease is associated with the clinical signs. So I think we're kind of getting into the arguments that immunologists and pathologists <laughs> like to argue about. But the clinical <laughs> signs are those four, the, the neurological, the cutaneous, the ocular, and the visceral clinical signs. Mm-hmm. So from a practical perspective, the vaccine is reducing any clinical signs that we just talked about, and those are clinical signs are associated with the disease. So being pragmatic about it, I would say that the vaccine reduces the risk of getting Merrick's disease. (laughs) That's what you're saying. A loaded scientific question, and uh, like I said, it sounds like scientists are uh, are, are, uh, debating that every day across America about everything. uh, We love to argue. Hey, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And um so hey, thank you so much, uh folks. Doctor Pateski comes on uh the second Thursday of every single month on the show and we have different topics relating to your backyard block. We want you to keep them safe. We want you to keep them safe and happy and healthy and that's what we're uh, our goal is here. So Doctor Pateski, thank you very much for uh, willing to change the topic and, and come on the show today and, and hash this out one more time and we'll look forward to having you come back the second um, week in uh, October, second Thursday in October, and we'll have another great topic for our listeners then. You take care. Thank you very much uh, for your expertise great. and coming on the show today. Thank you, Andy. Good to be here. Thank you. All righty. So hopefully we got to uh, all your answers. And again, I said earlier, I apologize for any sound. Uh, my Bluetooth, that's, I don't know if it's uh, in the, the uh, hurricane that came through here, the whole nine yards. But anyway, so uh, yeah, now, again, not to. Um, on this, but uh, I saw the heated thread over on a particular forum, and I said, hey, you know, we can put a lot of these questions, a lot of these comments, a lot of these possible myths, rumors, and stereotypes to bed real quick, because I've got a guest show coming up this Thursday uh, with a poultry veterinarian and epidemiologist from UC Davis, uh, Dr. Maurice Pateski. I can have him on. We can change the topic. I contacted him. Yeah, we'll change the topic. And then I, I posted it over on, well, first one I initially posted about doing it. There were probably 25 people uh, from this group that were like, man, this is an awesome idea. Oh, this is perfect. Or some, some of my listeners were already over there. Like, oh, I love to listen to your show. This will be perfect. And it'll answer a lot of these questions that people have posted here, these comments that may be right or wrong or, or, or myths or, or stereotype or whatever. Tons and tons of positive comments. And so then I had created the show. Uh, so I got the link to it, posted the link in there. And the next thing you know, my post disappears. And then I post something else about it, saying, hey, reminder, in a couple of days, post disappears. And then I had a couple of people that I noticed that were asking, hey, where'd that post go? I want to know how to call in. I want to know how to listen because uh, I'm very interested in this. I want to know how to take care of my birds the right way from an expert. And then um, apparently they were sent a message by, I think, the admin. And then even today there were some folks that said, hey, what about the show today? And so I had posted not once in any of my posts, not a single one that I post anything about Chicken Whisper, Chicken Whisper website, Chicken Whisper magazine, Chicken Whisper book, nothing. 
And then uh, all of a sudden, so today, when someone asked, I didn't post any of that. I didn't use the CW. I didn't use anything. I just said, if you'd like to listen, you can call this number. So there was no kind of self-promotion or none of that. Strictly, in fact, I was very careful even today. Uh, just call this number if you'd like to listen and get educated more on the merits topic from an expert. And the next thing you know, um, they booted me. <laughs> but I've come to, I've come to know that. And, 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 and the place, the forum, the group that you now may want to see what their, maybe you figured out what their agenda is. It's our way of the highway or uh, chicken vet corners, chicken talk, chicken vet corners, chicken talk. If you're a member over there, now you know how they act. Now you know how they delete people for trying to educate with right information. But I've seen that a lot over the years. You know, you post something you just probably they don't agree with or they have a different um, theory or a different opinion. And they're like, no, no, sorry, we're deleting you. You were beating, uh, booting you from the group. And uh, I don't have access anymore. I still got friends in there, obviously, and they were sending me over questions that were posted over there. So no harm, no foul. But... Um, yeah, if you're a member of that group, you might want to think twice, or uh, if you're going to go join, you might want to think twice. Chicken vet corners, chicken talk, and uh, they'll boot you if you try to educate with real information and not myths and rumors. If you look at some of the comments on there that they're allowing people to post, flat out wrong, flat out BS, flat out, oh, this worked for me, it'll work for you, um, then that'll be, that probably gives you an idea because, you know, that's what we're all against here based on the magazine and the book. That's why we have a book coming out now in December called Chicken Fact or Chicken Poop. Maybe I can get some of the groups of the members of that group to send me over things that people are posting on that group, and maybe we can squeeze it into the book. Uh, is this factor poop? And I'm starting to see a lot of stuff over there is poop on that site. So just you know, beware if you're a member over there and know how they uh, treat folks that are trying to uh, share reliable information to them. And, and again, every single post was positive. Every person who posted and replied was positive. This is great. I want to listen. How do I listen? This is super finally some good information from two professionals, and then they just delete it. So hmm, I wonder what their agenda is. Anyway, so every Thursday right here on Blog Talk Radio, you can tune in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kompok Feeds and many other um, sponsors during the show. And uh, come and join us because we're all about science-based, fact-based, study-based information for you to take care of a healthy flock of chickens. All righty, cool. Hey, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next Thursday right here on Blog Talk Radio. God bless everybody. Uh-huh.